0: If you've never heard of Shein, the Chinese clothing company, first, congrats on not being a TikTok addict. But second, it's probably time to learn.
1: Today we are at the Shein warehouse where the products come directly from this facility to your home.
0: This is a video that was posted to Shein's Instagram. The company invited a group of six online influencers to come to China and visit a factory where some of its clothes are produced. The trip was all expenses paid.
1: Now I can go home feeling reassured, feeling confident in my partnership with Shein, working for Shein and being a consumer of Shein. And I feel comfortable spreading that message to my community and to my family and friends.
0: But once the trip was over, the good vibes disappeared.
1: So listen, in just the last couple of minutes, we are getting some new reaction from Shein after a group of influencers faced backlash for going on a brand trip with the company which, as you probably know, has been under fire for a while now over alleged human rights abuses.
0: This PR campaign and the online backlash took place last month, but it reignited a growing debate over a company that has rapidly become a juggernaut in the retail and fashion world.
2: It was valued in 2022 at over $100 billion, which makes it one of the three biggest unicorn companies in the world. Now, that valuation has been reduced over the past year. It's now around $60 billion, but that's still really, really huge and dwarfs really any kind of other fashion company, whether it's fast fashion or luxury fashion.
0: Rachel Tashton is a fashion reporter with The Post, and she's been covering the company's dramatic rise.
2: Well, I guess the easiest and most immediate way to explain Sheehan is that it is a fast fashion company that has fundamentally changed everything about the way that we shop, understand, acquire, and desire clothing.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Will Oremus, your guest host. It's Thursday, July 20th. Today, Rachel talks with my colleague Elihe Izadi about how a Chinese fast fashion giant is changing the way Americans buy clothes and why some people are trying to stop it.
1: Rachel, I am so excited to be talking to you today about Xi'an. Can you just first... Paint me a picture of what kinds of products does Shein sell?
2: Anything that you can dream up Shein would have. I have a friend of mine who was pregnant and was looking for, of all things, stirrup leggings. And Sheehan had maternity stirrup leggings. So really, I mean, if you can dream it, Shein probably produces some version of it. And what's really interesting about the way that the clothing is designed and created for this company is that there's no, you know, Yves Saint Laurent or Karl Lagerfeld <laughs> behind these products. The founder of the company, Chris Hsu, who's a Chinese, of course, billionaire, um, in part from founding this company, is an SEO specialist. So he's like able to figure out what people want before they even know that they want it. Um, and, And that's, I think, what has really set Shein apart. Also, the fact that they can produce so many products so quickly, which really gave them an edge in the pandemic when a lot of fashion brands, you know, were having these really serious supply chain issues. Those didn't really seem to affect Shein as much. And how big is this company? I mean, it's not an Apple or an Amazon, but it's in the realm of like TikTok's parent company, ByteDance. And the same goes for Elon Musk's SpaceX. Yeah. Rachel, that's
1: huge. That I mean, my jaw is a little bit on the floor that that this company is so massive.
2: Well, it's so crazy because we we don't, like so many people have never heard of it. I mean, even when I was reporting the story, there were people I would interview who didn't know how to pronounce it. And this was something that, that came up in, in some of my interviews as well. Like, you know, there are sort of sustainability influencers. There's also a lobbying group that has emerged that's trying to take down Shein. Mm-hmm. And part of what they're doing is educating people, both lawmakers, shoppers, about what this company is and why it's such a, a sudden and surprising threat. Why are we talking about Shein right now? Yeah, I mean, it feels to me like as a fashion reporter that Shein is the main character of this summer. (laughs) Um, Like, so we have this controversy with this influencer trip where the brand invited a number of fashion influencers to come to its factories and one of its headquarters and give a tour. You know, it wasn't just like we got pictures or videos of these warehouses or facilities. We were actually there. And that sort of erupted into a lot of controversy in the end of June and over Fourth of July weekend. Critics are slamming the company after it flew several social media influencers on a trip to its distribution facility in China. They posted glowing reviews. There are these continuing lobbying and legislative efforts that are hoping to, you know, restrict Sheehan's ability to import goods into the United States. And then there are also these rumors that keep coming up that Sheehan might file for an IPO. An IPO is an initial public offering, which means that people would be able to buy shares in the company and invest in the company. And, of course, there would be more government scrutiny placed upon Sheehan as a result of that, which Sheehan has denied continually, but those rumors still continue to come up in the business press. There's really just like so much happening from so many different angles with this company. It feels like a lightning rod. Also because the women who shop there, and I did see this in some of the comments on our story, some of the women who shop there really defend it. They feel like there's nowhere else for them to get clothing that is reasonably priced because clothing has gotten so expensive or there aren't a lot of plus-size clothing options. So it's really something that I think people feel very emotional about. Mm
1: Rachel, how did Shein become so popular in the United States? And is it fair to think of it in the fast fashion sense of like, oh, this is just like Forever 21 or H&M. Like, how is Shein different from, from those brands?
2: Yeah, it's really different, I would say, from Forever 21 or like a Zara. I would say from a fashion point of view, what's interesting is that it's really responding to more immediate kind of needs and desires in clothing. Like, we're not talking about, you know, when you go into Zara, there are a lot of copies of things that are coming down the runway. And there are certainly copies of runway clothes on Shein, but it's really more about finding, like, a trendy and cute and affordable thing to wear to your friend's baby shower or to wear to prom or someone's sweet 16 birthday party. It's not so much wrapped up in that, like, fantasy and aspiration of fashion as it is, like, this is quick. Mm. I have a need. It for a certain dress for an event, and I don't need to wear it more than once. And this is perfect because it's so inexpensive.
1: Yeah, Rachel, it sounds like it's kind of like a utilitarian brand, like, oh, it's meeting this need. But I wonder, is it really changing the fashion industry as we know it?
2: I guess reporter colleagues of mine who also cover fashion, I think, don't understand how hugely influential this company has become. It's almost like runway fashion and what's happening in Europe is being completely taken out of the equation. And that celebrities who are used typically, you know, by fashion brands to sell handbags and to sell gowns and this kind of idea of red carpet dressing and, you know, walking around Beverly Hills going out to lunch with my fancy handbag. Like, that is not interesting to this consumer. It's like totally driven by what is happening on TikTok, by those conversations that happen on TikTok, trends that bubble up on TikTok, and people who are celebrities or, you know, influencers on that platform.
1: So is it like TikTok that's really driving the popularity here? Like, how, how did they explode and become such a phenomenon?
2: Yeah. I mean, they were really early to invest in advertising on TikTok. And this idea of the the haul, which is like ordering just a ton of stuff and unpacking it in a video for your followers, that's not something that Sheen invented, but it's certainly something that they helped popularize because you have to buy a lot of stuff to get the free shipping.
1: Oh, so then you get a bunch all at once and then, oh, it's content for me to unpack it all and look at all this stuff. But then what do you do with the stuff that you don't
2: want. You throw it out. Oh, wow. Because it's too expensive and too much effort to, to return it.
1: So, Rachel, what do the critics of Shein have to say? What are the criticisms and, and accusations that the company has faced from these people?
2: Yeah, I mean, there are things coming from a lot of different directions. Again, like, you know, there's this sustainability piece of it. You know, there are, like, writers and, you know, authors, stylists, and so on and so forth who are really concerned about the consumer habit that this encourages. You know, this idea of buying, like, 20 things at once instead of buying a couple of things each year that are really high quality and so on and so forth. But there's also the labor issue here. And it's also, you know, I think, a concern for women's rights activists. Like, there was a documentary that came out in the fall of last year on Channel 4, and they took secret cameras into a company that they said in the documentary is a company where she and produces a lot of its clothing. And the working conditions were terrible. And people are paid, you know, pennies per garment, really not a living wage. And they're in many cases, you know, even abusive places to work.
1: And what does Sheehan say about those allegations and that reporting that uncovered labor abuses and and other things?
2: Well, you know, they've said a couple of different things. To me, of course, they said they do not tolerate any factories that work under those kinds of conditions. This is something that's very common with fast fashion, is that because they use these third-party factories, they can say, hey, we actually weren't aware— that this company that we were contracted with, you know, had these kinds of conditions, which is what they said in response to this documentary and also what they told me. Now, when they had this influencer trip, that was kind of actually a publicity campaign to combat or respond to some of these allegations. Mm. And so you had, you know, these influencers, I believe there were six of them who were going around this factory that was like beautiful. I mean, it was really clean. It was very organized. And the influencer saying, I talked to a number of the workers and they said that they loved their job and they're paid really fairly. And, you know, there was a lot of backlash, obviously, to this. Rachel,
1: are there any legal troubles that Sheehan is facing right now in addition to just, you know, lawmakers looking to potentially crack down on them?
2: Yeah, so there was a lawsuit filed in California in mid July on behalf of three designers or accusing Sheehan of copying their work. And there are two interesting components, I think, to this lawsuit. One is that in addition to these charges of copyright violation, there are RICO charges, <laughs> which is, you know, sort of went mildly viral on the Internet when this was announced because it sounds so surprising. But essentially, the lawsuit lays out that because of the really sprawling structure of Sheehan, you know, this huge group of these factories, we don't know how many we don't know where all of them are located, that that allows Sheehan to essentially say, oh, hey, if we copied you, we didn't realize that we were doing that. That's the responsibility of this third-party factory they work with. And that the lawsuit alleges that this is tantamount to racketeering because it is this loose network that is conspiring to copy people.
1: And Rico is related to racketeering and that sort of thing.
2: Yes. Yeah. And then the other element of this that's quite interesting is that the three designers in this law lawsuit are not clothing designers, they're illustrators. And so it's very difficult to prove that someone has copied your clothing in the United States. That's not something that generally holds water in court. But because these are illustrators, it's a little bit more likely to suggest that that there is a violation happening here. So it, it's maybe something to watch a little bit more seriously than you might think.
0: After the break, Alaha and Rachel break down why some lawmakers on Capitol Hill have a bone to pick with Sheehan. We'll be right back.
2: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better-functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen.
1: So, Rachel, this is a private company, but I'm wondering. If the government of the United States or lawmakers here are trying to do something about Xi'an and its hold on consumers in the United States, especially I'm thinking about how like this is a Chinese company, right? And I know that there has been a lot of concern lately about TikTok's parent company, which is also a Chinese company, and and there have been moves in certain states to ban TikTok. And I'm, you know, is anyone in the United States, are there any lawmakers who have really taken the charge here and trying to crack down on Sheehan?
2: Yeah, lawmakers are actually paying really close attention to what's happening at Sheehan. Senator Marco Rubio, who's a Republican from Florida, is very concerned about Sheehan. He wrote a letter to his Senate constituents earlier in the summer saying, let's really start to look at this and take it seriously. It's also a big focus for Representative Mike Gallagher, who's also a Republican from Wisconsin. And they've actually both you know, participated in hearings that have been related to Xi'an and you know, have supported bipartisan bills that have been introduced earlier this summer in Congress to exempt companies from China from de minimis trade, which potentially could have some big effects on the pricing structure for shein and how much shein shoppers pay to import goods from shein which is essentially what's happening when you order something from shein as it's shipped directly from china so if things
1: cost more for shein if if these bills are successful will people just buy things elsewhere will 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 that mean like oh it costs too much money to buy this clothing i'll go somewhere else
2: I mean, Sheehan has proven itself to be pretty nimble, for one thing. I think that, you know, a lot of fast fashion companies, when there's some issue presented to them, what makes them so successful, what's made them sort of the defining way that we consume clothing and style and the way that we shop in the 21st century is that, you know, when they have an issue like this, they're always able to navigate and find a cheaper factory mm. or find a less expensive way of manufacturing things or to cut costs somewhere. I think the other thing to remember is that, like, it's Shein but it's also so much bigger than Shein, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, If Sheehan, for some reason, disappeared, which I don't see happening, something else would emerge in its place. And I really do think, you know, this is the way that people relate to clothing now. It's what they expect clothing to be. Even if you haven't heard of Shein, I would say it's probably affected the way that you buy clothing or at least the clothing that you have bought. You may have noticed that the quality is different. (laughs) And I think that that is all being shifted by Shein and by fast fashion more generally.
1: Yeah. And Rachel, you've also been reporting on this lobbying effort, Shut Down Shein, that's been very vocal in criticizing Sheehan. What do we
2: know about that group? Well, you know, we don't know a whole lot about Shut Down Sheehan. It was formed in, I believe, March of this year. And the spokesperson is a man by the name of Chapin Faye, who's a managing director at another political strategist and lobbying group called Actum. And he's been a long-term political strategist, has worked for a number of Republican campaigns. And he described to me the members as being, you know, sort of, quote unquote, like-minded groups and individuals, and also said that it would be a number of American brands whose names we would recognize.
1: Rachel, how much of the criticism of Shein has to do with its connection to China and, you know, the broader geopolitical situation that the U.S. and China finds itself in right now? I think it has a lot to do with it.
2: In fact, Chapin Fei, the spokesperson of Shutdown Down very pointedly said to me, you know, this effort to really talk about Shein and see if there's a way to legislate um, around the company— is coming at a time of a perfect storm, you know, where you have people who are really concerned about data and privacy and, you know, worries about Chinese companies influencing American citizens and, you know, consumer culture. So I think that that's a, a big part of it.
1: Rachel, the comparison to TikTok is super interesting to me because, you know, thinking about how Shein can somehow anticipate what you want before you can even like articulate it for yourself and present you with this product. I feel that way when I go on TikTok, like, wow, this algorithm somehow knows what content to give me and I wasn't even looking for it. And it's like, does does it know me better than i know myself but then also that i think is part of the the concern around businesses like tiktok and shein are the privacy concerns right because these aren't just private companies but if they have connections to businesses in china then there's this question of like yeah but does the chinese government get access to this data
2: yeah, I mean, and this is, again, another big concern, I think, especially for legislators and especially as, you know, these rumors continue that Sheehan may file for an IPO. You know, earlier this year in February, a bipartisan group of senators wrote a letter to Sheehan saying that they needed to clarify the way that they collect and and use this data. Um, and I think this is a goal of some of these legislators, that they would love for Chris Hsu to testify in front of Congress the way that the CEO of TikTok did so that we can Clarify, you know, some of the ways that this company operates. There is this like sense that you know it's really shrouded in mystery, which is is so fascinating because it's like on the one hand it's delightful for consumers, but also for those of us who aren't necessarily consumers. And I think also for some people who do use Shein, it's a it's very unnerving. Mm. So I think it's something you know we don't really have the answers to it. And what does this say for the
1: future of the fashion
2: industry? I think it's just fundamentally changed our relationship to clothing and not just to fashion, although I'm always telling people in the fashion industry that this is completely changing everything. But yeah, I mean, I I think that the predominance of fast fashion means that we are willing to accept a lower quality product and that we expect the things that we buy not to last as long as we did. Even not so long ago. And I think also we're all becoming accustomed to this state of constant change in clothing, and that everything is changing almost irrationally from like <laughs> day to day or week to week and, and different things are expected of us and, and our clothing and the way that we present ourselves. I mean, that might sound really crazy to someone who's in their 40s, 50s, 60s, or 70s, but to someone who is in their 20s and 30s and sees fashion and shopping as a form of entertainment, that makes a lot of sense. And I'll also tell you that this is something that's permeating at the highest level of the fashion industry. You know, when we have a musician like Pharrell Williams, who is at the biggest and most glamorous fashion company in the world, Louis Vuitton, as their designer, you know, everyone is starting to see fashion and shopping as a kind of entertainment. And I think that this is something that Sheehan has really driven.
1: Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us and explaining all of this to us.
2: Of course. Thanks for having me.
0: Rachel Taschen is a fashion reporter for The Post. She spoke with my colleague, Elihe Izadi. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Jordan Marie Smith. It was edited by Rena Flores and mixed by Sam Baer. Thanks to Eliza Dennis and Maggie Penman. If you want to show your support for the show, please subscribe to The Washington Post. It's a great way to support the work we do, and you get access to the kind of essential business reporting that you just heard here. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Will Aremus. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from the Washington Post.